Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW, Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Now, without further ado, let's start on with the show. Let's start things off with Raw. Raw opens up, and we hear Stone Cold Steve Austin's music hits, and the fans go absolutely nuts. This is their time. They think Stone Cold is going to come out, but it wasn't Stone Cold. It was Kevin Owens dressed up as Stone Cold with the whole ball cap, 316 shirt, the jean shorts. even had, like, knee braces on both of his legs, and he goes out to cut a Stone Cold-esque promo on Stone Cold. Kevin Owens basically says that uh, he's going to beat up Stone Cold at Mania and give him a stunner. He does the whole nine yard. He even, at the end of his whole little promo, he has the stagehand throw him a beer like Austin would have, one of the stagehands doing. But unlike Austin, Kevin Owens couldn't catch a beer. So he has him throw him another one. Couldn't catch that one. So then he tells the stagehand to get in here and calls him useless. Instead, he tells him to hand him a beer. He gets a beer, and then he decides to stun the stagehand. Then he decides to grab both of the beers that he missed earlier, crack them open, clack them over the stagehand's body, and just pour it all over him. So Kevin Owens is basically going at Stone Cold, calling his beer trash, calling Stone Cold trash. You get the whole drift here. This is still just adding more fuel to the fire for whenever Kevin Owens and Stone Cold meet at WrestleMania. After this, we have a tag team match with the Mysterios going against the Dirty Dogs with The Miz on commentary for this matchup. The Mysterios would win the match by pinfall when Dominic would hit the 619, then follow it up with the Frog Splash on Robert Roode for the win. After the match, however, Dolph Ziggler would come in and superkick Dominic and leave the ring. Ray Mysterio would give chase to Dolph Ziggler, but Miz would pop off the commentary table and tackle Rey Mysterio. Then he will lift Mysterio up, hit him with a skull crushing finale on the outside of the ring. Miz would then have the audacity to take Rey's mask, basically unmasking Rey. We couldn't see Rey's head. Dominic came out there. He hurried up and covered his father and he asked for a towel. That's what they do in Lucha Libre culture. Whenever your mask is taken off you and if you're not in a mask versus mask match, they will give you a towel to cover your face because the public is not supposed to see your face. Miz backstage later on would say that he's going to give this mask to Logan Paul and he dares Logan Paul to wear it next week on Raw because next week's Raw will be the final episode of Monday Night Raw until WrestleMania, that which happens next week. After this, we would get a two-on-one handicap match. Omos going against the team of Apollo Crews and his commander Aziz. Omos will win the match by pinfall when he kicked Aziz in the head, then gave the double chokeslam to Apollo and stacked Apollo on top of Aziz for the win. After the match, Omos will get the mic and he simply stated that nobody has able to dominate him since he's gone on Raw, whether it be Raw or at WrestleMania. Nobody can stop him. And it has been reported that the match that's scheduled for Omos at Mania is supposed to be him going against Bobby Lashley. I don't know how that's going to work. Personally, we only got one more Raw left, and Bobby just pops up next week and say, me and you at Mania. All right, cool. But stylistically, are we going to give Omos his first loss to Bobby Lashley at Mania, or are we just going to continue the big, devastating monster Omos being dominant? Uh, That's one I'm willing to... I want to see how they work with that, but 
We'll have to see if that even happens next week on Raw. After this, we have AJ Styles coming out to the ring. He's in his ring gear. He's here to call out Edge because he mentions how he was missing being out here with the fans as the fans were chanting AJ's name. He mentions that he's watched a clip of Edge giving him a concerto multiple times and that's frustrated him. And he's here to kick Edge's teeth down his throat. So once he calls Edge out, Edge doesn't come out, AJ decides to call him a coward, which leads to Seth Rollins coming out. Seth Rollins comes out to the ring and he mentions how he wants to finish Edge off, something that he should have did in the summer. He tells AJ that you need to go home and rest yourself up and come back after WrestleMania. The fans during this segment were chanting Cody's name because it was reported either by Fightful Select or by someone from Pro Wrestling Insider, uh, I believe Mike Johnson, that Cody Rhodes has signed with WWE's two weeks ago. And they said the schedule plan still is for Seth to go against Cody. I don't... I see Cody making an appearance at Mania if he does sign. And if he did sign, I still go on with the plan. Him popping up night one after, like, during the whole Austin and KO, like, situation because Seth Rollins is Kevin Owens' buddy. Seth Rollins coming out there to help Kevin Owens beat up on Austin. And you have Cody pop up, do his stick, beat up on Seth, him and Austin, celebrating the ring because they're both, uh, well, Cody's a Georgia guy. Austin's a Texas guy, but Austin has family ties with Dusty because Austin was around with Dusty in WCW when Dusty was making the shows up. And Austin has that family ties with Dusty and Dustin, uh, Goldust in WWE fame. So I still see Cody doing that. And then after that, we get a broken skull sessions of Cody talking to Austin about what happened. Why did he leave WWE and him coming back after starting up AEW? Because, you know, Austin's going to talk about it. If anybody's going to get the leeway from WWE to talk about anything AEW related, it's going to be Austin and it's going to be on the network. Well, Peacock, if you're in America. So I see how that's going to happen, but we shall see. Anyway, getting back to the AJ Seth situation. Seth does play along to it. He says the rumors are fun, but they don't make moments. And he's out here to make a WrestleMania moment. And that's where you get Seth telling AJ to go home, let him finish off Edge, and AJ could come back after Mania. AJ tells him no, and he tells Seth he knows what he's trying to do. He's trying to do the same thing that he did last week to Kevin Owens to try to take his spot. AJ says that's not going to happen. He's going to finish off Edge, something that Seth couldn't do. And then after that, they these two could finish this conversation. Then you get Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville coming out, and they decide to make a match between AJ Styles and Seth Rollins in the main event of Raw. And the condition is, this is Seth's last opportunity to get at Mania, because if he beats AJ, he takes AJ's spot against Edge at Mania. AJ is upset at this. It, Seth Rollins could be no more happy. He was jumping up and down for joy. AJ punches Seth in the face, tries to maul him, but Seth rolls out of the ring. So we would see what happens in the main event later on the night. After this promo, we would get a tag team match of Shayna Baszler and Natalya going against Rhea Ripley and Liv Morgan. Uh, Shayna and Natalya will win the match by pinfall when they hit the heart attack on Liv Morgan for the win. After the match, Selena would pop out of nowhere and hit Rhea Ripley in the back with her scepter. And Carmella would handle both Natalia and Shayna Baszler on the outside of the ring. 
And this is, again, setting up for their WrestleMania Fatal 4-Way Tag Match for the Women's Tag Team Titles at Mania. After this, we had a Becky Lynch promo, and her main gist of it was that she is talking about she has sold her soul to kept the Women's Championship around her shoulder. Becky mentions that she would do it every day of the week and twice on Mondays. She says Bianca doesn't have what it takes to beat her, whether Bianca whips her with her hair and hits her flesh, but that won't do. Becky mentions how Bianca didn't mean to damage Becky, but Becky mentions how she did mean to injure Bianca when she put Bianca's head in between the chair and used her hair to throw her into the ring post last week. And that's the reason why Bianca isn't here. Becky would end her promo by ending with, What does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? That's basically Becky's whole contrast to this whole promo. Becky says that she will show Bianca at Mania if she makes it to Mania. Again, we got one more week until Mania. And again, I'm cool with this matchup. We all know Bianca's going to win, but it's, it's fine. After this, we had Austin Theory going against Finn Balor. Pat McAfee was on commentary for this match. Finn will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Pat McAfee. Austin Theory was on the ring apron, and then Pat will run up next to Austin on the ring apron and slap the mat. This will distract Theory enough that once Theory rolled into the ring trying to look for his roll-up dropkick, Finn would grab him and scoop him up for an inside cradle for the win. Pat McAfee also did get involved in like multiple times throughout this matchup, but never touched Theory. He gave... Theory, the DX chops, cross chops. He will slap the mat multiple times throughout the match to get fans to give the end of their energy to Finn. And this thing was just nothing but to build up Pat McAfee going against Austin Theory again to, for WrestleMania. After this, we had a tag team matchup. RK Bro going against Alpha Academy. It was announced before the match that at Mania, it would be the triple threat match for the Raw Tag Team titles. RK Bro going against Alpha Academy, going against the Street Profits. The match. This match right here, the tag match, would get thrown out after the Street Fighter Profits would run up and attack Alpha Academy. They would help Riddle to his feet, but then they just suckered him in so they could hit their tag finish on Riddle and then point at the WrestleMania sign. So the Street Profits are kind of in a tweener spot. In certain places, they'll get booed. certain places, they'll get cheered. So right now, they're in the tweener spot. They haven't got full bad guys but they still have the attitudes of the good guys, but they can turn it up to get that ruthless side, and that's what happened here. After this, we had a mixed tag team tornado matchup. A Reggie and Dana Brooke going against Tamina and Akira Tozawa. Dana Brooke and Reggie will win when Reggie hits his flipping senton on Akira for the win. After this, now it's time for the main event of the night. AJ Styles going against Seth Rollins. AJ will win the match by disqualification. Once AJ was on the ring apron, he was looking to hit his phenomenal forearm on Seth Rollins. Out of nowhere, you see Edge hit AJ Styles in the back with a steel chair. So the ring announcer will have to announce that AJ won the match by disqualification. So this gives AJ still his match with Edge at WrestleMania and just gives him more fire to beat up on Edge at Mania. However, you would see after the match, Seth Rollins start flipping out. He grabs the referee and says, this isn't fair. He starts saying this is BS. He grabs the mic and said this is BS. And he makes the proclamation that next week on Monday Night Raw, nothing will happen unless he gets a WrestleMania moment. And then he gets off the commentary table and just starts destroying 
like equipment around him. He starts tearing apart the commentary table. He starts tearing apart some of the barricade. He starts tearing apart at one ring post. You would get like backstage guys coming out to try to cool stuff down, but he just keeps on screaming, this is bull crap. And he just looks at the WrestleMania sign and the fans are still chanting Cody at this time. So the fans knows what's happening. The fans knows what's coming. But we just don't know if Cody's going to pop up next week on Raw or the Ultimate. He's popping up at Mania. For my money, I say Mania because, again, at Royal Rumble, that's the only time you debut somebody new. And at Mania or the night after Mania, that's when you debut somebody new. But between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania, you do nothing. Those are nothing but just filler times until for somebody to uh, prove themselves to make it understandable why they need to be at Mania. The same way that Kofi did in 2019 when he was in the Elimination Chamber and the fans were chanting for him and they realized, WWE realized in the back, okay, it's time for Kofi to be at WrestleMania and win his first WWE Championship. That's how Kofi Mania happened in 2019. But again, that's a rare and I mean extremely rare occasion when that stuff happens. So again, Cody's going to show up either I say at Mania and then the night after Mania. That's just if I were to hedge my bets on it, that's just where I would go for it. Now on to NXT. NXT opens up with Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams driving to the arena. Once they get out, they talk about the, the potential of opponents that Carmelo could be facing at Stand and Deliver in his ladder match for the North American Championships. But we wouldn't have to uh, go along with that for so long because the first match of the night was Roderick Strong with Michael Bivens in his corner going against Solo Sokoa, and the winner of this match would advance to the North American Championship matchup at Stand and Deliver in a ladder match. Um, Carmelo and Trick were on commentary for this matchup, and Solo Sokoa will win the matchup by pinfall when he hits a body splash, or the Uso splash, off the top turnbuckle onto Roderick for the win. So Solo Sokoa has added himself into the North American ladder match. After this, we had Tony D'Angelo going against Dexter Loomis, who had Indy Hartwell in his corner. Duke Hudson and Persia Parada were at ringside as well to watch the match. Tony D'Angelo would get the win by pinfall thanks to an inadvertent help from Persia Parada. This happens when Tony was going for his crowbar, but Indy Hartwell grabbed it. And then you see Persia grab it from Indy. Now you see them have a tug of war. And then you see Tony try to grab it from Persia, and now he's in the tug of war with Persia Parada, but then Persia lets go of the crowbar, and when she does this, Tony inadvertently hits Dexter with the crowbar without the referee seeing it. Tony knows this, throws the crowbar out, he grabs Dexter, hits it with a spitting fisherman suplex for the win. After the match, Tony will get on the mic and mention how last week he suckered in Tommaso Champa and at Stand and Deliver, a new dawn of NXT will arrive at Stand and Deliver, and it will be Tony D'Angelo. Tommaso's music hits, and Tony waits for Tommaso to come out. However, Tommaso sneaks into the ring behind Tony and turns him around and hits the fairy tale ending. Tommaso then grabs the mic, tells Tony that if he is going to be done at NXT, and this is going to be his last chapter in NXT, he's going to write it himself. And he tells Tony that he will see him at Dallas at Stand and Deliver. So again, another match to hype up Stand and Deliver. After this, we had Electra Lopa with Raul Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde in her corner going against Fallon Henley, who had Brooks and Jensen in her corner. Electra will win the match by pinfall when Electra will hit the Blue Thunder Bomb on Fallon for the win. 
After this, it's time for Bobby Roode with, in his corner, Dolph Ziggler to go against Braun Breaker. Bobby Roode was given his old NXT entrance, him standing on a, uh, Standing on a platform that turned him around, he's wearing his big old robe. He got his whole glorious entrance, and that is still one of the greatest entrances in WWE history. It's still a shame how they, on the main roster, just screwed Bobby. Bobby deserved better. Let's call a spade a spade. Bobby Roode's time on NXT was pretty great. He didn't have many slip-ups, if we're going to be honest. Anyway. Braun will win the match by pinfall when Braun catches uh, Rude jumping off the second turnbuckle and hits it with a power slam for the win. This is a nice match between Braun and Bobby Rude. This shows that Bobby Rude still has what it takes to hang in the ring with anybody if he wants to do it. And Braun Breaker, he can hang with Bobby Rude. After the match, Braun Breaker was on the entrance stage. He turns his back to the piece, looking at the fans with his arm raised in the air. Dolph Ziggler sneaks up behind Braun, and once Braun turns around, he eats a super kick from Dolph Ziggler. Dolph tells him this is the reason why you'll never be champion. You're a rookie kid. You should always never turn your back on somebody, yada, yada, yada. Again, putting more fire into their match as Stand and Deliver for the NXT Championship. After this, we have Grayson Waller with his uh, big bodyguard, Sunga, in his corner going against a kid. And the winner of this match would advance to the North American ladder match at Stand and Deliver. Grayson Waller will win the match by pinfall when he hits his rolling stunner on A-Kid for the win. So right now, currently, we have Grayson Waller, Solo Sokoa, uh, Santos Escobar, Carmelo Hayes, and they're going to have a match next week because Carmelo gets in the ring and he looks at A-Kid and tells him that next week there's going to be a triple threat match with all the losers that lost their qualifying matches. So it's going to be A-Kid going against Roderick Strong, going against Cameron Grimes in a triple threat match. And the winner of that will be the last man to take a spot into the North American ladder match. My bet is going to be Cameron Grimes because Cameron Grimes is on this whole... Um, Thing talking about how he told his father that he was got signed to NXT, he was going to be a big star, and that was the last thing he told his father before his father passed away. And they're really highlighting that for Cameron Grimes. So I see them giving Cameron Grimes the spotlight and the attention and the win at Stand and Deliver. After this, we have a tag matchup of the Creed brothers with Diamond Mine in his their corner going against the Grizzly Young Veterans. The Creed brothers will win the match by pinfall when the Creed brothers hit a tag move, and it was a um, suplex that got transitioned into a torture rack slam. Then Brutus Creed would hit the hit James Drake with a clothesline for the win. After the match, you get Diamond Mine in the ring. They're celebrating, and then you hear like a spray paint can shaking and spraying off something. And then they look at the Titantron, and you see two guys like covered in head to toe with black and a black hoodie and a black ski mask. And they're like, one guy's tearing up the Diamond Mine gym. As the other guys writing like in their phone, like text, and they're popping up on the screen talking about, uh, since you guys can't find us, we always find you. Enjoy your time. Like basically, we're coming to see you soon. So, and it looks like two white hands. Well, two guys that are white because their hands were white. So MSK is ruled out automatically because MSK is one black dude, one white dude. So MSK ain't it. I want to know who this team is because I don't think Imperium is the guys to do it, but we shall see. Um, after this, we will have a matchup of Gunther with Imperium in his corner going against Duke Hudson, who had Persia Barada in his corner because this match 
was made because after Duke and Persia Prada were outside uh, watching at ringside with Dexter Loomis matchup, you get a backstage segment of Dexter and Indy and all uh, Duke and Persia, all four of them in the back. And Persia is talking to Indy saying that Duke Hudson could beat anybody on the roster. Then you see Dexter go over to his drawing board and draw up something real quick. And he turns around, turns the uh, photo around and it's Gunther. So that kind of set the matchup for right now. I will say this. Duke Hudson was able to get a couple of hits off on Gunther. I ain't going to front. I thought Gunther, or better known as Walter for people, would have decimated Duke the way that he should have because Walter, Gunther, whatever you want to call him, he is a dominating force. He is a like heavy hitter type guy, but Duke was able to get some hits off. But that still didn't do nothing for this because Gunther will win the match by pinfall when he hit the powerbomb for the win. And there was a highlight in this matchup. There was a... Nice sounding chop that Gunther gave onto Duke Hudson's chest that the whole NXT crowd just went, oh my God. And you heard people on commentary just go, oh my God, because that, that chop was loud and he gave Duke a nice like, like print on his chest. It was real, real noticeable. Anyway, after the match, Gunther's in the ring with Imperium and he gets a mic and he mentions how he's the most dominant man in NXT and he's still being overlooked. He was about to talk about L.A. Knight, but as soon as he's about to, L.A. Knight comes out and he comes out to confront Gunther. Gunther tells Knight that he doesn't have what it takes to win the big matches, and the only way he gets those big matches is because he has a big mouth, and he talks his way into it. Knight says, well, I was going to talk my way into another match, but since you said you don't like the way that I talk, he punches Gunther in the face, and so you get these two hitting off with each other, but Imperium jumps in. So now it's a three-on-one beatdown until MSK comes out to even out the odds and MSK was able to take out Imperium, leaving Gunther in the ring with MSK and LA Knight. LA Knight was able to close line Gunther out of the, or over the top rope, out of the ring. And later in the night, we would get clarification that at Stand and Deliver, it will be LA Knight going against Gunther as well. Now it's time for the main event of NXT. It's the finals for the Women's Dusty Tag Team Classic. Wendy Chu and Dakota Kai going against Io Shirai and Kaylee Ray. Toxic Attraction were at ringside for this matchup. And the winners of the Women's Dusty Tag Classic are Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai. And they do this by pinfall when Kaylee Ray hits the KLR bomb. And then Io will hit her moonsault on Wendy Chu for the win. After the match, you get Toxic Attraction getting in the ring. You have the confetti uh, spraying out. Mandy gets on the mic. She congratulates them on winning the Dusty Cup, but tells them that they aren't going to beat Gigi and JC for the NXT Women's Tag Titles. Kaylee Ray and Io then announced that they decided they want to go a different route. They want to cash in their tag opportunity into making a fatal four-way match at stand and deliver for the NXT Women's title because they know that if they take the Women's title off of Toxic Attraction, Toxic Attraction will start to fall apart. So then you see Toxic Attraction attack EO and Kaylee Ray, and it turns into a three-on-two beatdown until Cora Jade comes out and evens out the odds. All three women were able to take out and clear out Toxic Attraction out of the ring, and that's how NXT leave, uh, like leaves that episode. But the big question leaving out of the episode is can Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai do that? 
because last year's winners, they had a tag match for the WWE Women's Tag Titles. And that's how we got the NXT tag team titles that we have now. It has never been done that a tag team wins a tournament and be like, you know what? We don't want the tag team titles. We're going to go after the end, like the singles championship, the world title, and we'll just fight each other and the champion for it. It has never been done. So this would be interesting if they do that. I don't see how they could. I would rather them, as Stand and Deliver, have a winner-take-all match. You have Mandy and her crew of Toxic Attractions, since they hold all the gold, go against uh, Cora Jade and Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai, winner-take-all, six-woman tag match at Stand and Deliver. You can get all women in one match. All of them can move and move fluently throughout that matchup. We'll have to see if that gets clarified next week on NXT, but we'll see. Now, time for AEW Dynamite. Dynamite opens up with the match between CM Punk and Dax Hardwood. CM Punk won with the match by submission when he counters out of uh, Dax's sharpshooter, and it locks him in for an Anaconda Vice for a win. This was a good match between CM Punk and Dax Harwood. They were able to slow down, have a slow down pace of a match. They didn't go all like fast paced and everything else. They were able to turn it up when they need to, but they were able to slow it down and get people still interested and intrigued in the matchup between both of these men. After the match, you would see uh, Cash help Dax out of the ring and then they'll walk like towards the entrance ramp but before they get to the entrance ramp they see Billy Gunn's sons the gun club Colton and Austin just like wiping fake tears from their face and like give them like the boo-boo face like oh you lost the match boo-hoo so it would lead to FTR basically calling out the gun club next week so we get a match already signed off the Gun Club with their father, Billy Gunn, in their corner going against uh, FTR. Punk also did make the motion for championship gold around his waist. So Punk's intention is really, really clear. He's going after championship gold. That's his next like mission. After this, we have another matchup. This time is the eight-man tornado tag matchup of the Hardys and Sting and Darby Allen going against Private Party and Butcher and the Blade. And anything went in this matchup, a.k.a. you could use tables, ladders, chairs, whatever, and they did. Matt Hardy would get the win for his team by pinfall when both him and Sting would hit their finish on Private Party. Matt would hit um, Mark Quinn with the Twist of Fate, and uh, Sting would hit the Scorpion Deathlock on Isaiah Cassidy. Uh, highlights of this match was Jeff Hardy going like going, climbing up a ladder, then going on to one of the window frames that's inside the building, might I add you, and then jumping off and hitting a swanton on the butcher and the blade who were on tables at the concession stand. So that was a nice, cool, like visual to see. And then you have Private Party hit a double side effect on Matt Hardy off the stage through tables. So the Hardy boys were going full Hardys in this matchup, Matt taking a beating, Jeff Hardy usually doing an insane stunt the way that he always does. That's kind of the Hardy dynamic always. And I'm glad that they really essentially capitalize on that. And also, please, Jeff, please take care of your body. Also, you too, Matt, because you guys have been doing that style for a long time. Matt has real Matt has been able to always calm himself down and always not take as much high-risk maneuvers as Jeff. 
Jeff always does some real outsane, insane, like, like really risky stunts. And Jeff has always been able to come back and do what he has to do. I just want to say, Jeff, take care of your body. I hope you're doing DDP yoga because DDP yoga is always the thing that keeps these wrestlers limber and make sure they don't get as injured because wrestling has you doing injuries. And, uh, Hardys, please uh, take care of yourself, as well as everybody else in this match as well. I just had to point out the Hardys because they've been doing that kind of style of thing for years. After this, we have another tag match. The Varsity Blondes, who had Julia Hart in their corner, going against the team of Brian Danielson and John Moxley, who had William Regal technically not in their corner, but he was at commentary watching this matchup. Moxley and Danielson will win the match by submission when Moxley and Danielson locked in submissions on Varsity Blondes. Moxley locked in the Coquina Clutch on Griff Garrison as Brian Danielson locked in the LaBelle lock on Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, Griff tapped out. So there you go. Um, after the match, Regal would get in the ring with his guys and Moxley would get on the mic and says that he has wrestled the best in the world and the only person he has ever wanted an approval from was from your lordship, William Regal. Moxley takes great pride in that seal of approval from Blackpool, and Moxley lets it be known that if you think you can hang beside them, aka these three sadistic men, they are going to give out free rides. You have to find a dark place in your body, within yourself, that loves pain. And if you can, and you think you can hang with us, well then, try us out. Moxley did also give the group, like, their own name. They call themselves the Blackpool Combat Club. I'm, I'm all right on the name. I got to see how it rolls off a couple for a couple more weeks. That might be a thing, just like the Undisputed Era. It didn't sound like a name until you kept on hearing it so many times. Then you're like, okay, the Undisputed Era. This one might be one of those that you got to hear it a couple more times. And you'll be like, okay, Blackpool Combat Club. They'll probably shorten it out some way. But... Like I said, this might be one of those names that you just got to hear a couple more times. After this, we have MJF coming out to the ring with Sean Spears for his in-ring promo. This is the first time we will hear MJF talk since losing to Punk at Revolution. And an interesting note, there were security guards surrounding the ring entrance because we know what's about to happen. MJF gets in the ring, and the first thing that he does, well, besides, obviously, uh, taunt the crowd, he gets the business and talks to CM Punk. He lets Punk know that he knows good and well that he had a beat at Revolution and that he had to cheat to win. MGF also lets Punk know that he doesn't know when, he doesn't know where, but there will be another match between them down the line. And the next time there will be a match between them, he will give Punk the most humiliating loss of his life. And then you see MGF turn his attention right to Warlow and calls him a pig. He calls Warlow a pig multiple times throughout this promo. And the main gist is that MJF mentioned that it was him that found Warlow three years ago and that brought him from being homeless to the point that he now has a roof over his head and also a roof over his mother's head to live. MJF says that Warlow signed a contract with the devil and that contract is ironclad. MJF also says that he's going to make Warlow's life a living hell. MJF then proceeds to make a lot of threats to the point that Warlow decides to come out to the ring because he's tired of hearing MGF talk, but he's stopped by security. 
not just security at the ring, but more security coming out from backstage to hold Warlow back from getting in the ring. And at this point, you see Mad Scary, like a good 12 guys, like holding off, holding Warlow off as Warlow is like seething, trying to get at MGF. And MGF is like having his head tucked at the second turnbuckle and just calling Warlow a pig and letting him know that he's going to ice Warlow out. He tells him, I'm going to still pay you, but I'm going to keep you home. And I'm going to make sure that these people forget about you because you're not under contract with AEW. You're under contract with MJF. And ultimately, his plan is just basically to starve out Warlow and let him know that he's not welcome around AEW. So he tells security to escort Warlow out. They don't escort him. Warlow tells him to take their hands off of him, and he walks out peacefully, but regrettably, but peacefully. MGF also lets it be known that the Pinnacle is still around. They're still stronger than ever. I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. I don't I don't understand how because you guys are all doing your own separate things. MGF is doing his thing over here. FTR fired Tully Blanchard, so he's not around. So apparently he's no longer with Sean Spears either. Uh, you still need muscle. Let's see when you bring the muscle in. I just want to see when that's going to happen. But the Pinnacle is not the Pinnacle. I'm just, I just got to throw that out there. Is is a fabrication. After this, we will have a Ring of Honor matchup, if you will, because it was Jay Lethal, the number three guy that they say on the rankings, and I believe Adam Cole is like the number two guy on the rankings, go against each other. And I say a Ring of Honor match because these were the two guys that were literally dominating Ring of Honor in the 2010s. It was Adam Cole and Jay Lethal, also with Jay Briscoe, but you get the drift. These were the two guys that were literally like dominating Ring of Honor in the 2010s era. Uh, Adam Cole will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction by Red Dragon. Jay Lethal had Adam rolled up in a pinning predicament, but the referee was distracted by Red Dragon once they got on the ring apron. Jay Lethal says, screw it. He goes for the lethal ejection, but before he can grab Adam's neck, Adam drops down and uppercuts Jay Lethal right in the nuts. This would allow Adam Cole to then hit the boom on Jay for the win. After the match, you see Adam Cole get a mic. It says that nobody deserves the AEW World Championship except him. He mentions that he has uh, Hangman's number because in their last three matches, Cole is up two to one. Cole says that Hangman uh, win against him at Revolution was like catching lightning in the bottle, and that won't happen again. Cole dared Hangman to come out to the ring. Hangman comes out. And he looks at Cole and Red Dragon directly in their faces. And then he starts taking his belt off. He hits Cole and Red Dragon with it. But that doesn't last for so long that he has the upper hand because um, Cole hits Hangman with the low blow. Then it turns through a 3-on-1 beatdown until Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy and Christian come running to the ring. Cole and Red Dragon leave the ring because now the numbers of advantage is not on them anymore. But Cole does take the AEW World Championship, and that's where we're ending that at. After this, we have Sammy Guevara and Ty Conte in the ring with Tony Schiavone. The main point of this segment is for them to call out America Top Team, but Dan Lambert, the TNT champion Scorpio Sky, and Nita Page come out, and they're on the stage. Dan lets it be known that Sammy isn't getting his rematch, and he kisses the TNT title. However, Sammy lets Dan know that him and Ty did some things with that championship and Dan freaks out. He drops the belt. He starts yelling out, yuck. And then he has to pick up the belt like, like a little child will pick up something gross and just walk away with it. After this, we had Rail Velvet 
going against Layla Hirsch. And the condition for this match was that Chris Statlander was, uh, she was barred from ringside. Layla Hirsch will win the match by pinfall when Layla brings in the ring turnbuckle, but the referee stops her and grabs it away from her and throws it out of the ring. But once the ref grabs that from Layla, the ring turnbuckle, Ray Layla was able to bring out another one out of her trunks and then hit Red Velvet in the face for the win. After the match, Layla locks in an arm bar on Red Velvet and holds it until Chris Statlander runs into the ring and attacks Layla Hirsch. And then Layla just leaves out of the ring. So now after this, we get an AEW Women's Championship uh, interview with Thunder Rosa coming out. She was going to cut her first uh, interview as Women's Champion, but Vicky Guerrero cuts her off. Vicky lets Thunder Rosa know that she isn't a true Texan and she could take her fake green card and go back to Mexico. This was all a distraction for Nyla Rose to attack Thunder Rosa from behind and set up for Nyla Rose basically be the next person to challenge uh, Thunder Rosa for the AEW Women's Championship. This segment felt weird because you got two Latin American females and you got one of them accusing another one of having a fake green card and not being a Texan or whatever and going back to Mexico. That felt extremely weird. Even though I'm not Mexican, I am a black dude. And just looking on the outside, just like a black dude would tell me to go back to Africa or something, dude, that just feels, it looks weird. So I would like to know how the Hispanic uh, community felt when they were watching that one. They probably say, well, it was all entertainment. Some of them probably felt a different way. I just want to know how people felt about that. Me, not being Hispanic, I just felt weird watching that. After this, we had a main event tag match. Uh, Dark Orders, John Silver and Alex Reynolds, who had number five and ten in their corner, going against Chris Jericho and Daniel Garcia, who had the rest of the Jericho Appreciation Society in their corner. Daniel Garcia and Chris Jericho will win the match by submission, when Jericho would hit Alex Reynolds in the back with the baseball bat, and this allowed Daniel Garcia to lark in the sharpshooter, and Reynolds had to tap out. I didn't like the main event. I wish the main event would have happened like somewhere in like in the card, and you probably could have just left it with Jay Lethal and Adam Cole in the main event, and have Adam Cole leaving with the AEW World Championship. If that was the, I would change those two matches, like literally have that be the main event instead of this tag match, which. Didn't feel like a main event tag match, but again, I'm not a guy that works there. I just throw out my own little two cents, and I hope that uh, they take my advice. And Jericho Appreciation Society are not main event like situation. It's not. They need to be like in the middle card situation. Adam Cole with the world champion is a main event situation that always should be in the main event. That's just my belief. But anyway. Good show. I just wish they would have had Jay Lethal and Adam Cole in the main event instead of in the middle. They could have swapped out the main event for that one. But that's just my thoughts on that. Now, on to Impact Wrestling. On this program, we do know that next week there will be a rematch of the Motor City Machine Guns going against Chris Bay and Jay White after the debacle that happened last week. And also at Rebellion, there will be a matchup between Jonah and Tomohiro Ishii, the Stone Pitbull of New Japan. Now, Impact starts off with an angry Josh Alexander walking to the ring in his street clothes. Josh gets the mic and says that he thought he knew everything about wrestling and he thought he knew Moose all the way. But Moose last week crossed the line when Moose went to his house and made his way into his house and talked to his wife and child. 
Josh then proceeds to call Moose out because he wants a piece of Moose. Moose comes out. Moose tells Josh that he failed as a husband last week to protect his household and that Moose then proceeds to beat Josh to the point that he tells Josh that once he beats him in rebellion, he might show Josh's son what a true role model looks like and won't fail him like Josh has. Josh then has enough of this. He gets out of the ring and attacks Moose. Now you have Moose and Josh Alexander brawling on the outside of the ring. Then they move themselves to the backstage arena and they proceed to fight still. Moose is now on the losing end of this situation and he tries to escape by going up some stairs, but Josh proceeds to follow him. Josh grabs Moose and now they're on top and they're right next to a balcony. Josh then tries to throw Moose off of a balcony, but before you can actually throw him off, you will see some Impact Wrestling uh, roster members come over and pull Josh off of Moose. One in particular, uh, Madman Fulton, Josh elbows Fulton in the face and tells him to get off of him. And this sets up for a match next week on Impact of Josh Alexander going against Madman Fulton. Moose does escape, and this is the last time you will see Moose and Alexander uh, tonight. After this, we will have our first match of the night. is a triple threat match. Willie Mack going against Laredo Kid and going against Mike Bailey. The winner of this match will join Ace Austin and Trey Miguel in a triple threat match at Rebellion for the X Division Championship. Mike Bailey will win the match by a pinfall when he hit the ultimate weapon, which is a shooting star double knee drop on the back of Willie Mack for the win. This is a great match to start open uh, Impact Wrestling. They said on commentary that Willie Mack can do things that not a lot of guys his size can do, and he's right. Willie Mack is a hefty boy, but he's not like six foot five, six foot three. He's about to get probably like six foot, like evenly. And he's able to still move as fast. He's able to hit high-flying moves. And he was able to keep up with Mike Bailey and Laredo Kid. So this match between all three of these men was a great match to start off Impact Wrestling. After this, we had Steve Macklin going against Heath, who had Rhino in his corner. Steve Macklin will win the match by pinfall when he uh, was able to hold on to the ropes as Heath tried to hit him with the wake-up call, which is a zigzag. Uh, Heath fails at this. And once Heath hits the mat, Macklin would roll him up and put his feet on the ropes. And the ref doesn't see this as the ref counts uh, the winning fall. After the match, Macklin would get gored by Rhino because earlier in the match, Macklin pulled to Eddie Guerrero and he ran himself into the steel steps and he played it off like Rhino threw him into it. So that made the referee uh, inject Rhino to the backstage area. So Rhino had to get a measure of revenge for that. After this, we will have our first championship matchup of the night. It is the Impact Tag Titles being defended in a Lumberjack match. The Good Brothers going against the champions, Violet by Design's own Eric Young and Joe Doring. Violet by Design will win the match by pinfall thanks to help from Honor No More when Joe Doring uh, jumped on Gallows, who was on the outside of the ring with the rest of the Lumberjacks, and the referee was looking at them. Carl Anderson tried to grab Eric Young, but as he does this, Mike Bennett rolls into the ring and low blows Carl Anderson. This allowed Matt Taven to come in and hit Carl Anderson with the climax. This will allow Eric Young to pin Carl to win the match. It seems to me that we're going to get like a good brothers like going against Honor No More type situation after Rebellion or probably like Bullet Club going against Honor No More because Honor No More what has five guys, Vincent, Taven, Bennett, Kenny King, Eddie Edwards. 
PCO, but PCO is kind of doing his own little thing with Jonah from time to time. So as a effective unit, five guys going against Bullet Club of the Good Brothers and Chris Bay and Jay White. They'll probably pick up one more member to make it five on five. But that's where I see this heading after Rebellion. Um, after this, we will have Eddie Edwards going against Rocky Romero. This is the first time that these two men have gone against each other, which surprises me because they both spent a lot of their time in Japan with uh, Eddie Edwards and Pro Wrestling Noah and Rocky Romero in New Japan. And sometime they will have these collaborative shows of Noah in New Japan just working together. But commentary does announce that this is their first time meeting. So, again, shocking by this. Uh, Eddie Edwards will win the match by pinfall when Rocky Romero has Eddie Edwards in an arm bar, but Eddie Edwards was able to fold up. Rocky Romero put all of his own weight onto Rocky and pin him for the win. After the match, Eddie extends his arm out for a handshake, and Rocky tries to shake his hand, but Eddie Edwards just suckered him in to attack him. Eddie would proceed to attack him until the Ring of Honor World Champion Josh, uh, Jonathan Gresham would run down to the ring and attack Eddie Edwards because Eddie was the one that took out Jonathan Gresham. Uh, Jonathan will continue to beat up on Eddie until Eddie leaves the ring and then starts walking to the back. Rocky would push Gresham because he was upset that Gresham came down to save him. Remember, this is all this testosterone buildup. This is all this uh, adrenaline built. Rocky would calm down. Jonathan would extend his hand out to shake with Rocky. Rocky would hesitate on shaking uh, Jonathan's hand, but the fans would chant for Rocky to shake his hand, and Rocky would oblige. He ends up shaking Gresham's hands, and that's how this ends. So this right now is set up for Jonathan Gresham to go against Eddie Edwards, uh, leading on to the future. After this, it's time for the main event of Impact. It's for the Impact Knockouts Championship and a Philly street fight. The champion Tasha Steele's Defender Championship against Mickey James. These ladies in this matchup use chairs, a steel chain, a baseball bat, a trash can, and a street sign, and also a table, but the table didn't break because Mickey James tried to, uh, well, she did suit, not suplex, it was, she did a uh, powerbomb. Savannah Evans on the table, but the table didn't break. So the table was only used for that one thing, but it did not break. Tasha Steeles would win the match by pinfall thanks to Savannah Evans. Uh, Mickey did have the match won earlier in the match when she hit Tasha with her DDT. And as Mickey was covering Tasha and the referee was counting and he almost hit three, Savannah pulled the referee out of the ring. This led to Savannah getting in the ring and attacking Mickey James. Then you had the two-on-one beatdown. Tasha and Savannah attack Mickey to the point that Chelsea Green comes out. She has a cast on her arm, and she comes out with a steel chair. And it looks like Savannah, well, Chelsea is going to attack Savannah and Tasha, but Chelsea instead unfolds the chair and just places it and sits down on the chair and tells Tasha and Savannah that they can proceed to beat up on Mickey. Tasha not trusting this, she gave Savannah the go-ahead to kick Mickey, and Savannah does, and Chelsea just sits there and watch. So this led to a two-on-one tag team move of Savannah holding up Mickey James as Tasha ran and jumped off the ropes for a springboard insecurity on Mickey James. Then Tasha would go up to the top rope and hit a frog splash on Mickey to win and retain her knockouts championship. After the match, Tasha and Savannah would leave the ring, and now you have Mickey and Chelsea in the ring, and you see Chelsea tell Mickey that you said last week you didn't need me, but in fact, I was the one that you needed. You do need me. 
And you see Chelsea continue to tell off Mickey to the point that Mickey just straight up slaps Chelsea in the face. Then you see Chelsea slap Mickey. Mickey slaps Chelsea. Now they're having a slap fest, and Mickey gets up and just pounces on Chelsea to the point that Chelsea has to escape out of the ring. Mickey keeps her eyes on Chelsea because she's upset that Chelsea has now turned her back on her, that she doesn't know that Matt Cardona has entered the ring, and he's waiting for Mickey to turn around. And once Mickey turns around, Matt Cardona hits radio silence, or as people would know in WWE as the Rough Rider, on Mickey. Chelsea will get back in the ring and tell her husband, Matt Cardona, to lift up Mickey James and hold her. Matt does this, and Chelsea runs over and hits Mickey with her arm that has the cast on it. So they laid out Mickey. Chelsea then proceeds to take the cast off her arm to show off that the cast was only used as a weapon. Her arm is fine and is all good. And you will see Matt Cardona lift up his digital media championship and him and Chelsea Green would make out in the middle of the ring, ending Impact Wrestling. I was waiting for this to happen. I've been saying it for the past, what, two or three or even four episodes now that I was waiting for Chelsea to turn on Mickey. It was already written on the walls. I was just waiting for whenever it does happen because Matt Cardona is on a bad guy streak on the independence, and it was... And he's on a bad guy streak at Impact now, being the digital media champion. It was only a matter of time before his wife and his girl, since he's been at Impact, Chelsea Green, to follow suit. And they do their whole independent stuff on Impact Wrestling on television. Matt Cardona is a good, like, bad guy. He can make you really hate him on the independence. And for him to now be able to showcase that on television and actually complete the package with himself and Chelsea Green now on television being a bad guy couple, this is a good move in the right path for Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green as just the most hated power couple on the independence or just not a major like wrestling uh, wrestling television show like AEW or WWE. Those are the two majors. Anything other than that, they're not the major. So you get the drift here. Impact isn't major. But I do will say this. Impact does make a lot of... Uh, moves because they're still in connects with new japan they're still in connects with uh pro wrestling Noah, and they're still in connects with a whole lot of other wrestling companies as well so you can see matt cardona and chelsea green probably going over to some other wrestling company and do wing their uh bad guy shtick over there as well so again this is a good move for them i'm happy that impact did it it i would say it took a little bit longer than i expected but they pulled it at the right time and i couldn't be uh any more happier for that. But that was your Impact Wrestling uh, wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now it's time for SmackDown. Uh, before I get into the matches, I just want to point out a few notes. Um, Shag Gaspar will be honored with the Warrior Award. And that will be delivered on next Friday after uh, SmackDown, the WWE Hall of Fame. So, so far in this Hall of Fame class of 2022, it is The Undertaker. Charmel, Vader, and Shagaspar for recipients. Um, also, next week on the WrestleMania edition of SmackDown, they will be having the Andre the Giant uh, Memorial Battle Royal. Last year it was won by Jay Uso. Next next week, I don't know who's going to win. We'll just have to see. Um, SmackDown opens up with Brock Lesnar on the outside of Roman Reigns' locker room door. Caleb Braxton walks up to him. Uh, Brock informs Kayla that he has talked to management and he's bought 
a new vehicle for Roman. He's paid for damages, and they have informed him that he can't touch Roman unless he is physically provoked. So Brock makes it clear to Kayla that he is going to be waiting in Roman's locker room, hoping for Roman to come in and provoke him, basically physically move him out of his own locker room. Uh, we would get throughout the night, you would see Brock still be in Roman's locker room, destroying things, waiting as Roman would show up to the arena. But um, you would get also a video from Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman as they're in a suburban going up to the arena. Roman would let it be known that when he gets to the arena, if Brock was not out of his locker room, he's going to smash Brock the same way that he did in Madison Square Garden. Uh, we will have to see what happens between Brock and Roman at the end of the show. After this, we would get Shinsuke Nakamura with Rick Boogs in his corner going against Jimmy Uso, who had Jay Uso in his corner. Again, this matches to uh, add more interest to their WrestleMania match. Well, WrestleMania uh, SmackDown Tag Team Championship matchup. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura will win the match by pinfall when Nakamura hits Jimmy with the Kinshasa for the win. After this, we were supposed to have Kofi Kingston going against Ridge Holland, but Kofi introduces his tag partner, uh, Xavier Woods, or better known as King Woods, since he did win the King of the Ring. And King Woods is back on SmackDown, so we get a one-on-one -on -one matchup. It's King Woods with Kofi in his corner, going against Ridge Holland, who had Sheamus and Butch, a.k.a. Pete Dunne, in his corner. Woods would win the match by pinfall in quick fashion when Woods happened to get Ridge in the small package for the win. This was a real quick match at one point. I mean, it was really quick. You had Ridge, like, pull off one dominant move. He hits him with, like, a shoulder tackle, but, like, to Woods' thigh and then as soon as Ridge uh, walked up on Woods, Woods got him and inside like small packaged him for the win. It was really quick. After this, we had a Ronda Rousey in-ring promo. The main gist is that she says that at Mania, she's not just going to take the belt from Charlotte and make her tap out. She's going to make Charlotte hand her the championship and call her the SmackDown Women's Champion. Ronda then will call out Charlotte Flair to do something, but Charlotte wasn't there. Charlotte had a video show up, and Charlotte says that she isn't there. She's at a different location, and Charlotte mentions how she's going to beat up Ronda. Ronda mentions how she's broken so many arms in the past, she lost count. Ronda says that if Charlotte beats her at Mania, this will be the biggest win of Charlotte's career, but once Ronda beats Charlotte, it will be another useless body count on Ronda's, well, broken arm count. This promo was all right. I mean, it wasn't the best, but I mean, it wasn't terrible. After this, we have Ricochet going against Angel Garza, who had Humberto Carrillo in his corner. Angel will win the match by pitfall thanks to a distraction by Humberto. When Ricochet was on the top turnbuckle looking to hit a move on Angel, Humberto got on the ring apron and ran towards Ricochet. This made Ricochet jump off the turnbuckle onto the mat and try to hit Humberto, but Humberto dropped off the apron. This allowed Angel to roll up Ricochet for the win. After the match, Ricochet would get on the mic and tell Humberto to get in the ring and take this L that your cousin was about to take. And Humberto just looks at him, and he looks at Garza, and Garza says, do it. Humberto gets in the ring, and now we have Ricochet going against Humberto, who has Angel in his corner. Humberto will win the match by count-out thanks to Angel. 
Garza this time when Ricochet and Humberto won outside of the ring and the referee was doing their count and they were at the count of seven. Ricochet threw Humberto back in the ring and then once it got to eight, then nine, Ricochet tried to get back in the ring, but Andrew Garza was under the ring and he held Ricochet's foot and Ricochet couldn't get in the ring. So at the count of 10, the match was over and Humberto got the win. Later tonight, we would know that there will be a triple threat match for the Intercontinental Championship next week on SmackDown. Andrew Garza going against Humberto Carrillo, going against Ricochet. After this, we will get Austin Theory running from the crowd, jumping over the barricade and smacking Pat McAfee upside the head. This would make Pat McAfee upset and chase Austin Theory to the back, trying to get his hands on him, but to no avail. Because Austin Theory would run into Vince McMahon's office and Pat McAfee just stands there and says, oh yeah, run to your daddy's office. So again, this is still another build into the Pat McAfee versus Austin Theory match at Mania. Hopefully we get a stipulation next week added on to the match. If not, I think Pat can still do what he got to do with Austin Theory. I mean, look at Pat, what he did two years ago with Adam Cole at NXT. Adam Cole is a veteran and Adam Cole was able to move Pat McAfee to a great match. It ain't like Pat McAfee didn't hold his own either, by the way. Pat McAfee was able to hold his own, but you knew who the general was in that match. Same way that you're going to know who the general is in that match between Theory and Pat McAfee, but this time it was at Mania. So it's going to be interesting to see how that uh, dynamic plays into everything. After this, we would get a fatal four-way match. Sasha Banks, who had Naomi in her corner, uh, Rhea Ripley, who had Liv Morgan in her corner, Queen Selena, who had Carmella, and then you had Shayna Baszler, who had Natalia. Sasha will win the match by submission when Sasha makes Queen Selena tap out in the bank statement. Again, another match to hype up their matchup, a fatal four-way women's tag title matchup at Mania. After this, it's time for the main event promo. It is Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman coming down to the ring. Roman asks Paul if he knows if Brock is still in his locker room. Paul tells Roman that he doesn't know, but he knows that Brock is in Brooklyn and he is afraid. Roman tells Paul there's nothing to worry about. He's going to handle Brock if he is still in his locker room. Then we get a video pop up on the Titantron and it's Roman Reigns' locker room in utter disarray because Brock Lesnar has destroyed it. Roman is looking frustrated and asks Paul since Brock isn't in my locker room, where is he? Paul freaks out and says he doesn't know where he is. He just wants to leave. Then you see a video of Brock in the backstage area holding a pickaxe, and he just starts busting out Roman Reigns' like suburban windows. Roman plays it off and says, listen, hey, I got four suburbans. This one is nothing. So Paul is still petrified, and he's still watching as Brock is still doing damage to Roman's suburban. Roman has a nice laugh and says, and he tells Brock that, that's all good, but weapons aren't allowed at WrestleMania, you idiot. Brock smiles and says he knows, and then starts walking towards the SmackDown entrance. Brock's music hits, and now Roman looks petrified at this moment as he waits for Brock to come out. But what he doesn't know is that Brock walks through the crowd and then hops onto the commentary table. He gets wind of this because Paul Heyman turns around, and Paul has to tap Roman, and Roman turns around, and he sees Brock standing there on the commentary table so now you have this nice little standoff between roman and brock brock jumps off the commentary table he grabs a steel chair and then he hops right back onto the commentary table 
But this time, security quickly rushes down to the ring and is surrounding Brock to make sure he doesn't enter the ring. And Roman knows this now. He's taunting Brock to get in the ring, do something. Brock jumps off the commentary table and he hits a kick onto one of the security guards and then start going to work on the security with the chair. I mean, he just starts swing, swinging that chair and just start hitting anybody that comes in this, like, like in this view with the chair. He beats up on all the security and now you will see him try to get in the ring. And once he does, you see the Usos get Roman and Paul out of the ring and they start walking towards the back. Brock sees this. He just stands in the ring and he's like just smiling about it. Brock goes outside, decides to start beating up on more security, constantly beats up on him, beats up on him with the steel chair. And even at one point, he scares off Pat McAfee and Michael Cole away from the commentary table. And now Brock hops right back onto the commentary table, holding the WWE Championship and the steel chair and just raising them up. And then you will see a video of Roman at gorilla position with the universal title. And he tells Brock that at WrestleMania, Brock will acknowledge him as the unified WWE Universal Champion and acknowledge him as the Tribal Chief. And that's how SmackDown ends. Again, I'm going to give my uh, predictions next week because next week is the last uh, SmackDown of that whole storyline because it's going to be WrestleMania time next week. So it's going to be interesting, and I can't wait to give my predictions for that. After this, now it's time for AEW Rampage. First match of the night, Dustin Rhodes going against Lance Archer, who had Dan Lambert in his corner. Dustin will win the match by pitfall when Dustin pulled Archer into an exposed turnbuckle that Archer exposed earlier in the matchup. And then you see Dustin pin Archer with the jackknife pin for the win. After the match, Archer would attack Dustin, throw him to the outside of the ring, throw him into the steel steps, and this will bust open Dustin. So now you got blood coming down Dustin's forehead. And you see Dustin like move towards the barrier but Archer runs and throws his thigh into Dustin's face it's basically squashing Dustin's face you see Dustin's uh wrestling academy students come running down to the ring trying to help out Dustin but Lance Archer just takes care of all of them and ultimately Archer would choke slam Dustin through the timekeeper's announce table after this, we have Fuego the Soul have an in-ring promo he talks about how people believe in him the fans believe in him and people in the back won't believe in him, but certain people didn't believe in him. And he talks about how he took Malachi Black to the limit. He knocked Malachi Black even a little bit unconscious here and there. And he ultimately calls out the House of Black. Be careful what you wish for. Because the lights go out. And spotlight by spotlight, each member of the House of Black will pop up in the ring. Ultimately, all three members of the House of Black are in the ring. Buddy Matthews and Malachi take care of Fuego, and ultimately, you see Brody King get the last of Fuego whenever he hits him with a Thunder Driver move, and then you see Brody just lay out Fuego. So then you see House of Black leave the ring, and then you see them start walking to the ramp, and then you see, coming out of the tunnel, Dark Order of Uno, Grayson, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds. You see all four of those men stare at House of Black. They get close to them, and Malachi has to hold off Buddy Matthews from doing anything. And Malachi looks at Dark Order and says, this is what you want? 
in dark order just start shaking their head and you can tell this is where we're leading to next house of black going against the dark order i i'm gonna think this is great because uh Stu grayson is a competitor he can high fly he can perform strong man moves if he has to do it and he's agile so he's gonna be going up head to head with buddy matthews that's gonna be a good one i can't wait to see that just more specifically after this now it's time for a tag matchup of the night uh Dark Order's Allen Angels at number 10 going against the Red Dragon. Red Dragon will win the match by pitfall when they hit Chasing the Dragon on Allen Angels for the win. After the match, Red Dragon were going to attack Allen Angels some more, but Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus come running down to the ring with their tag titles. And once they come running down to the ring, Red Dragon leaves the ring, and now you see Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus looking after Allen to make sure nothing happened to him. But without Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus knowing this, Adam Cole will run down to the ring and steal the tag titles now. And he starts walking up the ramp with the tag titles. So now Adam Cole has in his possession the AEW World Championship and now the AEW World Tag Team titles. So it seems to me Adam Cole is becoming the unofficial belt collector because now he's just been snagging belts up. That's just what his whole thing is right now. Since he can't win them by a match, he's going to just steal them and he's going to make the champions get down with his uh, match situations. I see that's where we're heading out here. After this, we had Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero in her corner going against Mandy Rokinski. I'm sorry if I'm butchering the name, but that her last name was wild. Uh, Nyla will win the match by pitiful in quick fashion when Nyla will hit the beast bomb for the win. Commodary didn't mention that Mandy was trained by Thunder Rosa, so this is going to play into the whole Nyla Rosa, Thunder Rosa feud that they're building up on for Nyla to be number one contender for the AEW Women's Championship that Thunder Rosa just won. After this, we had QT Marshall and Aaron Solo in the ring, and QT will call out Hook to give him the first annual QT Marshall certification of accomplishment. Hook will come down to the ring. He isn't in his uh, wrestling attire. He's in a hoodie, some sweatpants, and some, like, shoes. He doesn't even look happy to be coming out here. He looks more bothered than anything. Hook would ultimately grab Aaron's head and throw it into the certification glass, breaking the glass, and then walking out of the ring. Hook is just a guy that just doesn't care about anything until he wants to care about something. And right now, we haven't found that thing that Hook cares about yet. After this, it's time for the main event for the FTW Championship. Ricky Starks, who has Powerhouse Hobbs in his corner, going against Swerve Strickland. Ricky will win the match by pinfall thanks to help from Powerhouse Hobbs. When Swerve was on the outside of the ring and Starks was looking to hit a suicide dive, Swerve was able to pop up and hit Starks in the head and just knock Starks back into the ring. Now the ref is looking at Starks to make sure he's still conscious and still able to go about the match. You see Powerhouse run into Swerve and basically truck him. So then Hobbs throws Swerves into the ring. Starks gets up. He hits Swerve with the Rochambeau for the win to retain the FTW Championship. After the match, you see Ricky Starks, Entourage's trainer, nutritionist, and his tailor come down to the ring with a big orange banner like that says, congratulations, Ricky, retaining FTW Championship. Uh, but one of the guys will get thrown through the banner by Keith Lee. 
Keith Lee would take out Ricky's entourage, and then you see Keith Lee get in the ring, and now he start brawling with Powerhouse Hobbs, and then you see Swerve brawling with uh, Starks in the ring, and now you got all these four guys just basically brawling, and this would continue to happen until referees start coming out from the back and start uh, separating these men, and that's how Rampage ends, basically with Starks and Hobbs going against Swerve and Keith Lee. Again, this is still going on with the whole thing of these new guys coming in, being Keith Lee and Swerve, and Starks is thinking that they're trying to take their place. So we're going to see how this continues to go on. And it seems like Rampage is more like the black show where you're going to see Keith Lee, Swerve, and Starks. Hey, if that's what it is, cool, but don't try to play me and say that it's not. But we'll see. I hope that it changes that because I would like to see this type of feud go on Dynamite and switch over some of those other feuds on Dynamite onto Rampage. But we can get, I'm happy with what we can get, but I would like to see Stark more on Dynamite because Starks is a primetime player type guy, not just a secondary like Rampage guy. He's a AEW Dynamite guy, if you catch my drift. But anyway, and. Uh, Rampage was fine, watch. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I just want to talk about one thing, and I was meaning to talk about this last week, but Scott Hall's uh, unfortunate, and I mean just shocking death, kind of took over what I was going to talk about, so I had to switch over my game plan. But last week, I don't think people know this or not, it's been six weeks, not six weeks, but six whole months since NXT has transformed into this whole new... Uh, Recreation of NXT, this new format, if you will. It's no longer indie uh, on the main stage anymore for WWE. It's now back to the basics. Okay, we're getting developmental guys or we're getting certain guys off the indies. Yes, yeah, sure. It's not the star stars from the indies that you know. It's some of these guys that are from certain divisions here and there. We're going to bring them in and we're going to just develop them into WWE uh, format in the way that we want them. And then once we get them on the main roster, hey, we're going to see how they do. That's what this developmental is. But before I get into that whole, how has this six months been for old school black and gold to now this new colorful NXT, I want to say this. I want to say uh, thank you to Triple H because Triple H has uh, officially retired. Even though his last match was in 2019 against Randy Orton, Triple H was on uh, Stephen A's world on Friday, yesterday, and he let Stephen A know and the world know that he has officially retired because of his heart uh, scare that he had late 2021, which they had to add, well, go inside Triple H's chest and put a defibrillator on his heart. Now, me not knowing what a defibrillator is, I had to look up what it was, and I typed it on Google, defibrillator and chest, and it gave me this. An implantable uh, cardiac defibrillator is a small battery-powered device placed in the chest to detect and stop irregular heartbeats. An ICD constantly monitors the heartbeat and delivers electroshocks when needed to restore a regular heart rhythm. So what I'm thinking is that Triple H's heart almost claimed the like came to stopping and with him being in the ring, that's not good because your heart's already racing so much. And I'm thinking that Triple H's heart didn't race enough 
uh, whenever he had his heart scare in 2021. So, and he mentioned it on Stephen A. Talking about he almost uh, went away. If you guess my drift, he almost like passed. So he had to now give up his uh, in-ring competition. So he's no longer uh, a wrestler. He's no longer going to be in the ring. I don't think he's going to be even practicing moves, to be honest with you. I think he still can work out, but I just don't think he can, like, literally be in the ring anymore. I know he can't do that. So um, I want to say thank you to Triple H for all the contributing stuff that you have done in WWE and just in wrestling in general. You were one of the forefathers of DX. You were literally one of the forefathers of Evolution. People are going to complain about your uh, <laughs> your reign of terror in 2002 to 2004. People are going to complain about that. But you made a lot of stars. You made Batista. You helped make uh, Randy Orton. Uh, you helped make even Seth Rollins, even the evolution of Seth Rollins, because Seth Rollins will tell you that Triple H was one of the guys that had to help him in his days on the developmental FCW towards NXT because Seth had a hot hothead and he was almost out of a WWE job. Seth Rollins has mentioned this on interviews as well, but Triple H has really helped out a lot of talent and he's helped out NXT. More importantly, the NXT that we've all known and loved in 2016 through 2000, and I'll give it 2019 when the crowds were really there. Well, 2020, that's whenever everything changed. Everything went crazy for NXT. The fans weren't there. They were still giving you good matches, but you just missed that energy that the fans give you, the wrestlers, and the, the fan that the wrestlers would give back to the fans. That 2016, 2019 NXT, it is completely untouchable straight up i'm not gonna try to front with you it's untouchable i don't think no other wrestling promotion i know aew is close to trying to uh do that but just look at 2016 from the roster that triple h had from nxt all the way to 2019 that a roster of guys and how many people were there and all that stuff Dude, you can't tell me that NXT literally wasn't on top of the whole wrestling world. It was beating out Ring of Honor. It was beating out New Japan. It was beating out Raw and smacking out WWE's own houses of competition and talent and star engagement of the internet. It was beating them completely. So again, I want to thank Triple H for that. His his Him contributing all that to NXT from that time, 2016 to 2019. Just thank you. Now, on to NXT from 2021, whenever that last NXT takeover when Samoa Joe beat Karrion Cross for the NXT title over to now having Dolph Ziggler be the NXT champion. This is a completely different uh, NXT, completely. NXT 2022, I... I have no problem with it. I'm not going to try to stand on it. At first, I didn't know what we were getting. You can listen back to, uh, I believe, Wrestling Highlights of the Week 39.5, where that was the first episode of me talking about the new era NXT, because that was whenever NXT first started. Well, NXT, this new era, the colorful era. Um, The first episode, you had Braun Breaker debuting. He was a goofy like, jumping up and down, like, goofball at the beginning of NXT, but at the end of NXT, he was a serious 
dude, he shook his hands to Tommaso Ciampa, extended it out, and you just saw the seriousness strike into his eyes whenever he looked at the NXT title, and he looked back at Tommaso Ciampa, so you knew off-rip that that's where we were headed. The NXT title between Ciampa and Braun Breaker, we knew where that was going. You saw, I believe, Carmelo had introducing his friend Trick Williams with uh, Trick telling Carmelo, hey, I don't know who this guy is. This guy ain't the guy that I grew up with. This ain't cocky. This ain't the cocky, confident, mellow, the guy that I know that you are. This this humble mess, this ain't you. And now we fast forward six months later, Melo is North American champion. He has been putting on bangers on NXT, and he's been putting on bona fide, like, he is growing into one of the guys you have to watch on NXT because, if anything, he gives Black Twitter a lot of things to work with, especially uh, Trick Williams. Him and Trick give you a lot of Black, like, cultural stuff on NXT. They have uh, them going to a barbershop and talking about what's coming up for Melo. You have them, like, mentioning cultural references. I mean... They are black culture, just period, personified of NXT. So I'm glad to see Carmelo with that. Then we switch over to the tag division. Tag division has gotten re-exorbitant. is starting to build up with more tag teams now. You got the Kree brothers that have debuted in these six months with Diamond Mind. Uh, you got MSK finally starting to do stuff over here because in... 2021, it was just a bad rep for them. I just couldn't understand it. But now in 2022, you're starting to see MSK on there. They're starting to get cheers. Yes, they still get booed from time to time because certain people just want to boo MSK for some reason. But they're doing something. You have Imperium here. You don't have Brizongo there anymore. They got rid of them, um, which is still a shame to me. Um, you have now... Legato del Fantasmo, they'll still do some stuff, but they're not in the tag division. They still should be. They should have win, already start winning some tag gold by now. Personally, because everybody loves Legato del Fantasmo, Raul Mendoza, and Joaquin Wilde. They love them. They love them. Um, you have Jacket Time, who I think that's just a dumb name. If you would have found a different name for him, that would have been cool. Uh, you got Briggs and Jensen. Josh Briggs, great competitor on the Indies. Uh, Jensen, I have no idea. I just know that he is Bull Buchanan's son. Uh, I mean, you got more tag teams now than you did in 2021. So I'll say that for this new era of NXT. I'm glad for, I'm glad to see that. And you're getting a new tag team now because we're waiting to see who this new team, who this team is that destroyed the Diamond Mines, uh, locker room, their, their uh, tranquility, if you will. And also, you got, in the women's division, the women are being allowed to be more sexier. I know Scarlett, uh, Scarlett Bordeaux talked about this on one of her interviews. I can't remember which one. I believe it was uh, her with Chris Van Vliet, or rather it was her with Renee Paquette. She mentioned how the women now in NXT are allowed to be sexy while the women in NXT and whenever she was down there in NXT. So she was only down there in NXT in 2020 and 2021. So they weren't allowed to be sexy in that whole situation. Toxic Attraction, they're allowed to be sexy. They're allowed to take photo shoots and show off their bikini, show off their assets. If you get my drift here, they're allowed to 
give off that fan service that females in the Attitude Era or even in the early 2000s were able to get all the way up to 2000. And like, I say they start giving, doing that fan service stuff like in 2010. 2010, they stop and they start focusing on women wrestling on the main roster. But now the women are back to being sexy. They're still able to wrestle, but now they're able to just do flaunt themselves the way that they want to do it. Um, also, you got character development back on NXT. I'm not saying that 2016 to 2019 didn't have some character developments. You can see the character development from DIY with the two guys doing them, doing it themselves from the indies and getting into the main roster, not the main roster, but onto NXT to become a fan favorites to being the plunky little underdogs to winning the tag titles. And then Tommaso turning on Johnny and becoming the psycho killer that he was but no interest no nothing to whatever but he didn't have a character if you will in the sense of a velveteen dream if you will velveteen dream is still the only character i think nxt has been successful with tyler breeze he was a character i think in wwe on the main roster they didn't do him well but he got well when he did with Breezango. They had a nice little run in 2016 on SmackDown when they were the uh, fashion police. But other than uh, Tyler Breeze, to be honest with you, I think Velveteen Dream was literally the only other character that, that came out of NXT that I think who, if he was on the main roster, he would have succeeded. But situations happened with Velveteen Dream. He got released. Uh, Late 2020 or no, 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 early 2021, he got released and that's just what happened with Velveteen. He got released and that happened and he wasn't able to go to the main roster to showcase what everybody else knew, the character that everybody wanted to see. As a matter of fact, in I believe 2018, whenever he went against EC3 and uh, New York City, he had trunks called Call Me Up, Vince. And people were ready for the Velveteen Dream to get called up to the main roster. So again, Velveteen Dream is literally the only character I will say that came out of that whole NXT situation that could have made it and kept themselves at a top level on the main roster. People apparently like the Velveteen Dream character. John Cena, a guy that's on top in WWE, whenever he comes back, he liked the Velveteen Dream character. And I believe that John Cena's endorsement would have got Velveteen Dream literally to the top of the whole food chain. And that would have sent off a whole nother wavelength for people to say, you know, we got to do characters. We got to do some outlandish characters to make ourselves uh, get over. Still, and now you start to see on this new version of NXT, you got uh, Tony D'Angelo, you now are getting Grayson Waller, who's basically the Miz if Miz were to come out in 2021. If Miz whole career would have did a whole rewind in the new age where modern era, where media and everything, Grayson Waller is literally the Miz if Miz were to have the internet and everything else. That's what Grayson Waller is. Um, You got... I would say... I would say uh, Boa with the whole makeup thing, but he came out at last of 2021 and that whole thing. Boa hasn't been seen since then. So technically, only characters on NXT this new era is de technically Dexter Loomis and Grayson Waller and Tony D'Angelo. 
those are the only characters right now that's coming to my mind. There's probably other characters that I'm missing, but right now to my mind, those are only other characters. And NXT right now, they do not have the, they don't have the, oh my God, this NXT like takeover stuff. We got to watch it. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to watch every, their little prime, prime premium live events, every uh, special event that they have. They don't call it takeovers no more, but I will still call them takeovers because that's what I'm just used to. They don't have those no more. They don't have those uh, like, oh, my God, you got to see these type of things, because right now we haven't been given the. We haven't seen a match as like, oh, my God, that's like, oh, my God, da 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 da. We haven't seen a card from this new era of saying, oh, my God, worthy that we got to like stop everything to watch it that we've had in 2016, 2017, 2018 and even in 2019. Those like I said, 2016 through 2019, those were just chef's kiss era for wwe on nxt just to be flourishing it is for them takeovers and even on the television shows so right now again nxt this new era is still in the remodeling phases but is not a bad remodel as people are crapping on it right now yes it is not the super indie show that we're used to but you got to remember I would say, and if I'm going to be truly honest with you, I would take these last six months over NXT what they were putting out in 2021. The last dying years of black and gold of 2021. If I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not even going to try to front with you. Because NXT 2021, the last dying days of black and gold, you can look back at those episodes. You can look back at those takeovers. Those things, just it just didn't feel right. So these last six months, I would take those over NXT 2021, the last dying days of the black and gold era. That's just me and my opinion. But again, you have everybody has their own, but that's just mine. So right now, I'm going to say, yo, give this new era, this new rendition, this new uh, colorful NXT a shot if you haven't. You got until next week, because next week on Saturday at 1 p.m. on Eastern Time is going to be their Stand and Deliver event. I think Stand and Deliver is going to be the beginning of the new era ever, truly, for NXT, uh, this whole colorful era. Because you got the ladder match, you got Braun Breaker going against Dolph Ziggler. You don't know what's going on with the NXT Women's Championship matchup. Will they have the Fatal 4 Will they not? Hey, we're going to see all that, what's going to happen next week. But six months, this whole new era of NXT, I'm happy to see. I'm happy with what we have gotten. I'm happy with what we have seen from everybody and where people are basically landing. I'm cool with that. I just wish other people would be cool with it as well. But, uh, yeah, that was my uh, circumstances for these last six months. NXT. Colorful era has been good, not as great as the indie era, but again, nothing will beat the indie era. But this new era is certainly a good era. And remember, it's only been six months. I'll be coming back to you when it becomes a whole year. So I'm giving it another six months and then I'll do a whole nother retrospect of NXT new era after it's been a whole year.
And I can't wait for that because you know what? We're going to get more newer. We're going to get more stars on NXT by this next up uh, by these next six months. We're going to get more rivalries. We're going to get fresher faces. We're going to get people winning championships and them turning into a different character, or we're going to see them be able to step out of their uh, comfort zones more. This is still new territory for people that are on television for NXT. So I can't wait to see how this is going to uh, transition after stand and deliver next week. But again, I'll come back to you guys whenever NXT uh, has fully turned a whole year around in September. And then I'll do a whole nother uh, retrospect from NXT uh, this new era. But with that, this has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I, and I am him. I love you all. I hope you have a great Saturday. I hope you guys take care of yourselves. Don't be dicks to other people. Please be nice and please be courteous. And please just say a prayer for your enemies if you have any enemies. But if you don't, say a prayer for everybody and let everybody just uh, know that you are praying for them and caring for them. And I hope you tune into my Sunday episode. Because I'm going to talk about certain things. Uh, Sunday episode is going to be called "Have a Let's Have a Chat. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you tune in to a Sunday. If not, hey, you'll come back to me next uh, week for Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Where I talk about everything going on in professional wrestling. From Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, Rampage, Impact Wrestling. And give you my predictions for what's going to happen throughout that whole weekend of professional wrestling. From Stand and Deliver to the two nights of WrestleMania. But anyway... I hope to check you guys out soon. See you guys later. Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh-huh. Jesus wept. Uh-huh.